Hello and welcome. This is Phil Houghton with Tales from Camelland. An occasional podcast with my news and comments from a self-imposed exile in the Middle East. Hello, Uh, this week's podcast is largely on the theme of identity. As uh, most of you will know, I'm in the Royal Navy, but my current environment being decidedly office-based and with no windows at that, rather takes away from one's maritime identity. This is exacerbated by the fact that despite all our business being to do with ships, our working uniform is what is known as MTP, or Multi-Terrain Pattern Camouflage Gear. So the general public would look at us and think that we were soldiers. The MTP gear is in fact tri-service, so Army, Navy and Air Force can be seen wearing it on operations, but is obviously most associated with land forces and hence kind of reduces our feeling of being sailors. I was only really struck by that this week when we had a change of command ceremony for the task force. And this event, which only happens once a year, is quite a big deal. So to that end, we all dress up in our summer whites, which consists of a white short-sleeved shirt, long white trousers, and white doe-skin leather suede shoes. All very smart. Bit of a throwback to the days of the British Empire when the Royal Navy ruled the waves. Whether we still do is a discussion for another time. Anyway, I digress. The two consequences of this uniform are that whereas the combat gear of the 33 nations represented within the coalition I work with is every colour from blue, grey, green, even orange, the naval rig is remarkably consistent, as I say, with the white shirt and long white trousers. So having 90 or so people in that hall for the change of command ceremony looking largely similar was a powerful demonstration of our shared experience, interests and business in matters of the sea. The other consequence I found was that while uniform gets cons- white uniform gets considerably more attention than our green and brown pyjamas, and hence US sailors, as normally hopeless at recognising foreign officers, were saluting all over the place. The other assault on our identity is the absence of the sea from our working day. I joined the Navy and remained in it for some 30 years, at least partly because I rather enjoyed being at sea or at least beside it. Although I am essentially on an island in Bahrain, it's quite difficult to routinely see the sea. I can just about see some ships out of my cabin window, but it's not that easy or close. And I do like being beside the sea. And one of the ways that I can get a bit closer to the sea is coming for a run. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm about a mile and a half into a three mile route that I've got that takes me out of the uh, British camp and into the Barbaini dockyard. And uh, it's okay actually, I mean there's some funny old warehouses with all sorts of bits of equipment, probably full of rats and grain, goodness knows what else. But then I run out onto what's called the finger jetty and uh, that's where I'm that's where I'm going now 
And out the finger jet at the moment, we've got the big ship. So we've got Cardigan Bay, which is one of our LSDAs, land ship docks. Huge ship, run by the IFA. And then a bit further down, we've got one of the frigates I used to serve on many years ago, HMS Montrose. Good old ship, that. Then on the other side, we've got a uh, Bahraini OHP, all about has a pericloth that they brought off the Americans. And then a American tuggy patrol boat thing called Catorba. So uh, Jess is reasonably busy today. Right, that's enough running for a moment if I'm going to do some more talking. So uh, just to describe where I am, I'm, I'm pretty much down on the waterfront and I'm actually just before I've got to the finger jetty. So finger jetty is in front of me and off to my left is the jetty that's pretty much outside my back window where I live. And uh, on that we've got the British mine countermeasure vessels uh, out there at the moment, they're pretty much all alongside. And then some of the American ones as well and a couple of the uh, US Coast Guard ships. And then looking out across the water there's a couple of dredgers and a couple of small, I don't know what they are really, coasters I suppose and uh, then probably one or two tankers. And then a bit further in distance you can just sort of see a bit more of the uh, sort of built up area around Citra where they're still repairing uh, oil rigs and things to go back out into the sea. And then coming further left you start getting the edge of Manama. And so if the water's behind me then I'm looking out into Manama proper and I've got a couple of huge grain crane things, I think is what they are, they, they, they obviously load stuff up with some sort of material. And then across a few palm trees and stuff uh, into the main city of, uh, of Manama itself. And just outside the dockyard there's a, um, there's a minaret, there's a mosque there, so we're just heading towards sunset because that's the time when you can go running really because it's it's too hot at any other time. So I'm sure the minaret man, whose name I've temporarily forgotten, the guy who does the call to prayer, will get going soon. So it, it's a typical evening day in, uh, in Manama. Warm breeze, probably somewhere between about 30, 32 degrees. Um, but quite pleasant really. And sure enough, there's my little helicopter that flies over at this time every day. No idea what he does, looks like a commercial helicopter doing something. Might be a police one doing a standard patrol, I don't know, but he always goes over this all the time. Um, and so yeah, so the water's uh, just a little bit choppy, not, not much really. Um, and you can sort of look into it, it's not crazy clear, can't see much in the way of fish. Few, uh, few little squeaky seagulls around. Uh, other than that, it's pretty, pretty quiet really. Um, it's one of the reasons I come down here. That it's uh, we're allowed down here anyway because the other ships obviously have got to come through this area to get into the British base. But um, at this time of day, and I suspect probably most of us today, it's pretty, it's pretty deserted, and so uh, good for doing a bit of exercise. 
So yeah, I, I think I feel just a little bit more navel, a little bit more maritime feeling from having a bit of splosh of water beside me. And it would be a bit of a shame to be doing a naval job, I think, without any sight of the sea. It's uh, sort of what I got used to, really. There we go. The other element of identity which has been clear this week is that being British still carries a lot of sway with Middle Eastern types and it's more than just being fluent in English. I've had Bahraini and Omani officers come up to me and almost the first thing that they say is that they've spent time at Britannia Royal Naval College in Dartmouth. They're really proud of this experience and it clearly validates them and they want me to know it. I routinely get foreign officers senior to me coming up and checking if stuff is okay or asking my opinion. And it's easy to forget that the UK and of course US forces are routinely operating in deployed groups of a large number of ships with a high level of connectivity and communication. All of this is alien to my new colleagues and as such they have little experience of the planning and organisation required to operate a task force. But there is absolutely no doubt in their minds that I do. And Fortunately, I do. But it is interesting that, as strangers to them at first, we do seem to have a high degree of credibility. The Arab way is all about relationships, and I'm sure that they would quickly lose confidence if we did not come up with the right ideas. But at the moment, our ability to help is, so far as I can see, making strong and helpful working relationships. Language is a key element of my identity and theirs too. And so I've been working in a few Arabic phrases as I go along, and that has definitely worked well. To add to the cacophony of sounds in the office, my Kuwaiti planner announced the other morning that English was actually his third language, and French was his second language. We then proceeded to talk in French to the complete confusion of Arabs and Americans alike. Right, well, that's it for now. Thanks for tuning in, and do look out for the uh, next episode in a couple of weeks' time. Ma'a salama.